Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I have a visitor from uh, overseas, uh, and I'm sitting down having a chat with Kevin Friedman, who's Chief Executive at Friedman International. Now, for those that don't know, Friedman International is a global implementation agency that oversees and deploys marketing campaigns for global brands that need an agile approach to deliver a consistent impact across all their target markets. So let's find out more about what that actually means and welcome Kevin Friedman. Thank you very much, Darren. Great to be here. Ah, my pleasure. Thanks for making time. You're in, you're in Sydney uh, on business, I imagine. A quick trip? Quick trip, four-day trip. Um, we have an APAC office here working with our global brands that need deployment of campaigns around Asia. Um, been open here now for a couple of years, or 18 months actually, so meeting the team, meeting some clients, trying to understand what's going on in this marketplace a little bit better, and yeah, enjoying enjoying the Sydney culture. Well, look, I have to say, because we met, and I can't remember how many years ago. Ten years ago. ago, 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 ago Ten years, yeah. And uh, you know, you're in London, you've been running the business for about 15 years at that stage, you're mainly focused on Europe. Um, but you know, I've seen you just expand and expand over that time. There's clearly a need for the services that uh, Friedman International provides. Why is that? Well, if we think about what's going on in the world today, globalization is a big trend. Um, it's not going to stop. I mean, the, the impact of the Trump era is not going to stop globalization. Um, you know, the world is getting smaller with, you know, digital channels, internet, etc. Um, people, although they may come from different cultures, they're often very similar. You know, the youth in Turkey is similar to the youth in China. That's similar to the youth in Brazil and in the US, actually. Same sort of aspirations. It's humanity at its core. Um, and businesses today know that they have consumers and customers potentially in lots and lots of markets. Mm -hmm. With um, the growth of a lot of these internet-driven brands, they can also globalise their the commercial side of their business much faster than in the olden days. Yeah, I think that's a, one of the things, isn't it? Because previously, you know, the big consumer packaged goods companies were the only ones that we talked about being global brands. You know, and, and they had to set up infrastructure in every market. But, you know, with the rise and the ability with e-commerce, you can actually sell in anywhere in the world that has internet access. Exactly you? right. Exactly right. So you've got the pure software type brands, you know, whether it's the Airbnb types or the Uber types or the Slack. These software brands, of course, can go global very fast. Um, but then you've got the e-commerce driven product companies, you know, like a Fitbit or Away, which is a luggage group who are able to build a brand, make it globally relevant um, and then get distribution for their products really fast now with all the different e-commerce and logistics players. Um, and they're tapping that each of these brands are tapping into a certain segment of consumers that are not just in one country. Mm. So what Freeman is doing, we're basically helping these brands to be globally consistent but locally relevant in all their markets in a smart way. 
mm-hmm. and that trend is not going to go away any anytime soon. Now, you talked about um, globalisation and you briefly mentioned Trump, but one of the things that we've seen with, you know, from the UK, Brexit and uh, and Trump is a rise of nationalism. You know, even though it's a global world, mm. that there are uh, people and a, almost like a, a backlash or reaction to the global world of trying to pull back and be more, you know, I'm an individual or we're unique and we need to protect that. Do you think that's having an impact on uh, marketing or do you think, as you said, people at the very core are human beings and, and they have the same needs, wants and desires, no matter what culture they come from? Um, I think there's there's a growing tension between the need of the commerce side of economies and maybe the political side of the economies. You know, the commerce side and the businesses are looking to be globally relevant and globally successful. That's not going to change because Trump says manufacturing, you know, my country. Um, or I'll hit you with a tariff. Yeah. On the political <laughs> side, of course, we have got a lot of tension. It's come out of this great, you know, the, the great recession from 2008, 9, 10, this backlash, the inequality of wealth. There is a political cycle going on. But I think the globalization is a big trend. It's a it's a 50, 100 year trend. The political cycle is a five to 10 year trend. That is that's my take on it. So it cycles within a, lar- a larger mega trend. Sure. Um, because one of the things, obviously, from a marketer's point of view, is to be able to uh, find that core proposition that appeals to their target audience. But there was a time when you would then do the big campaign and just roll it out. Yeah. You know, it was everyone got the same material. We're seeing that also change a lot, haven't we? Undoubtedly. So um, the globalisation of campaigns or the... Gl- yeah, has gone through a few different cycles. Version one was, I'm in global, I'm, I know about everything, I know about all the markets, I'm gonna create a campaign and essentially push it into each country. Mm-hmm. And um, that doesn't work, actually. There, there was, you can localize in terms of adapt a campaign and translate it, doesn't mean it's gonna be impactful or relevant across every market. That, that is globalization V1, that's yeah. the old way. So it was a cookie cutter approach, wasn't it? Here's the cookie. We're going to cut it and and drop it into each market. And sure, you'll get the chocolate sprinkles, you'll get the green sprinkles, but we control what sprinkles you get. That was V1. V2, um, which also didn't work that way, that well, was we all create a campaign, essentially a toolkit of campaign elements for you. We create the TV commercial, your print ad, your digital campaign elements, package it up as a kit and we'll give that kit to you. And your job is to take that kit, take out the bits you want, adapt it locally and make it run. And that was V2, and that doesn't work either. Because what's, what's the fail? What's the, the fail, fail of that is the people at the global level don't know enough about what the local needs are when it comes to a specific campaign element. Mm-hmm. What type of media are they gonna run? What sort of channels are they gonna use? Um, how will we make this big campaign tagline really relevant with local insight and local visual imagery and other elements that might be needed at a local level. So global is not knowledgeable enough of what the local markets need. So that's V2. Yep. Okay. It's also super inefficient because you think about it, you spend a lot of money globally, create this great big campaign, then you send it into 50 markets who all work independently with agencies and teams recreating everything. 
not using most of it. We used to do this for big brands like Shell. You know, they'd work with JWT, spend a few million dollars to create a campaign, hundreds, hundreds of different elements, chuck it into a market, and the markets wouldn't use it. Yeah. Now, and it's interesting you raised JWT, which I think is now called uh, Wonderman Thompson. Oh, yeah, great. Uh, at the Brilliant. latest iteration. Yeah. But uh, JWT and the ilk, you yeah. know, were the agencies that actually grew globally based on version one. Yes. You know, the whole idea of uh, from Madison Avenue to the world was that they would develop the campaign and then they basically need offices in each market to translate and implement the cookie cutter approach globally. They even transformed themselves a bit to handle version two, yeah. which would be allowed, you know, still come up with the idea and then uh, take the toolkit or the campaign kit and pull out the bits that they needed. So what's uh, what's version three? What's so ver version three is a real mindset shift. Um, in the older versions, people in global think they are hierarchically in control of local yeah so it's i'm global i'm superior to you you're local this is the wrong mindset global and local are peers yeah it needs to be a collaborative model global may have global brand insights and understand the big brand strategy but they don't know enough about what the needs of the local markets are so the there needs to be very strong collaboration between global teams and local teams through the strategic development phase as well as the creative development phase so it could be led by global but it's got to be shared along the route with the local teams mm -hmm. so they can input they can understand um, and when it comes to creation of specific elements of that campaign whether it's tv commercials or social content or digital content the local teams know what they need locally the idea here is that when global comes up with a campaign reveal and a series of assets it already takes account of the needs of the local markets. Okay. And when it doesn't, the local markets already know they're going to have to create something locally. To yeah. suit their To particular... suit their needs. So it's a co-collaboration model. Okay. It's complex because you need a lot of communication. So it's not one-way traffic now. It's two-way traffic through a campaign development and implementation now, you, Kevin, you said right up front of, of version three that it's a mindset change, yeah. okay? So that's obviously the first obstacle, that the organisation has to, first of all, global has to realise that they're not in control, that they're actually there to coordinate and, and to make, you know, get uh, alignment as much as possible, yep. but to deliver the needs of, of the local markets. The second thing is the technology has actually played a big role in enabling that. It doesn't actually make it happen, but it enables it. Things like you know, digital asset management systems, uh, um, uh, collaboration tools to, you know, to facilitate communication. I guess that's uh, a large part of what you have had to build as part of your offering, isn't it? I mean, definitely you need, you need good technology to facilitate communication and workflows and sharing of assets. We at Friedman don't build these tools. No, no, no but no. you would use them. You need you? to use tools. You, but again, I'm a, I'm a believer it's people over technology. It's, ah, good to it's, hear that. It's the people that will make it work, not the tech. And often you make it work in spite of the tech. Everyone okay. has sharing platforms, video conferencing tools, workflows, email, Slack, chat. In fact, there's too much now. 
And I think too often people hide behind the technology rather than getting face to face or camera to camera to actually thrash out the issues. So it, it is down to good old school communication, understanding, being open um, and and listening hard, you know, local teams need to listen hard to what Global is trying to achieve. And very often Global is trying to push the brand in a multi-year cycle. Local teams often are looking to achieve, you know, shorter term sales and revenue driven goals. Mm. So Global needs to understand that. And it's the, it's the meshing of the two together. It, it's so interesting you should say that because, uh, first of all, you know, I, likewise, we've seen so many organisations invest in the technology and it just doesn't work because you have to change the mindset. You know, it has to be a fundamental shift. A good example of that, and it, it's, sometimes it's not global. It can even be regional. Yes, and, very and much so. What I mean by that is uh, we had a, uh, a global client, but uh, the problem was in Asia. Mm-hmm. And, and I often think, and I'd be interested in your view on this, that Asia is actually more complex than Europe. See, a lot of people from a European perspective look at Europe and all the different languages, but at least you've got an EU and a, and a, you know, a reasonably consistent currency. Sure, there's different languages, but Asia, you know, politically economically, culturally, uh, is incredibly complex, wouldn't you agree? I 100% agree, actually. You know, Europe is relatively homogeneous. The income levels are, you know, coming closer together. Geographically, it's quite small. Mm. Look at Asia. I mean, it's vast. A third of the population lives in it's, Asia. It's vast um, geographically. There's, mm. there, you know, you've got 20, 30 different markets at different stages of development. Yeah. Um, culturally highly different. You look at the, you know, the subcontinent compared mm. to Southeast Asia, you go to ANZ, you look at China, um, obviously even within China, yeah. lots and lots and lots of differences. And the challenge for global marketers is to understand that number one, APAC, what it's a region in a, in a headline is not homogeneous at all. It's completely different from the States. It's completely different from Europe. Yeah. And um, so the big benefit of being able to work in a globally consistent way in your marketing is you can build a big brand. You can pull budgets together and do much bigger campaigns, but you need to do it in a way that allows for locally relevant adaptation. Otherwise, you're not going to have effective campaigns. Mm. And that that's the balance. So, so the story I was uh, starting to tell was um, this uh, European company headquartered for APAC in Hong Kong and had largely populated the head office with Europeans because that they carried the brand with them into Asia. But they were having trouble with the, uh, the many different regional markets, you know, the Vietnams, Philippines, and they couldn't quite work out why campaigns weren't flowing through the region. And they got us involved and we used our evaluating tool, which allows everyone to be able to provide feedback on everyone else. And what we found was the centre hub was actually scored really badly by all of the regional offices. And the centre hub was scoring all the regional (laughs) offices badly. But the regional offices themselves actually scored each other really well. And when we started looking through the commentary that they provided, it was so clear what was happening. The European head office, well, largely European populated, recruited head office, had this feeling that having come from Europe, they understood 
complexity and cultural differences. And they were pushing out in a very disciplined way the brand, but they weren't listening to the regional officers who were saying, this isn't what I need, this is what I, you know, they weren't, they said, well, this is the brand material, just do this. So the regional officers were all phoning each other and sharing ideas on how they could adapt it to make it work. So they all had this ring of, of collaboration around this central hub. It was amazing presenting the results back mm. to the central hub because they're going, we don't understand. You know, this is this is how we work in Europe. What is and and needing to explain to them first of all, you have to understand each market. That as you said a minute ago, Europe uh, subjectively is more homogeneous. Yeah. So I imagine you must see this type of behaviour, or are the clients coming to you have realised? the need for this, which is why they come to Friedman International to actually, you know, we know this is the issue or the challenge we're facing. How can you help us? Yeah, generally clients don't know that is the issue. They're, they want to build a strong global brand and they want to be efficient in the way that they get their campaigns to market. And they don't necessarily have marketing teams and agencies in every country. Mm. So they come to Freeman because we can help deploy these campaigns, but they don't realize the complexity of doing it well. Mm. It takes a few iterations. You know, it takes a few campaigns. It might take one or two years for them to become much more subtle in how they build a campaign, how they work with the local teams, how they bring local insight into the global thinking, how they allow local teams to have more freedom in creating or deploying the campaign in the right way for the market. Um, the best of our clients have both global and local teams who do parts of that, of the campaign mix. Mm. Um, and it's getting the balance right. How much should be globally developed and, and um, I suppose deployed? How much should be locally developed and deployed? And the third element is how much of the local stuff could be shared with other local markets? Mm who don't need to reinvent the wheel, but actually can build off the best thinking that's come out of ANZ market and take it into Europe, or the best thinking coming out of the Brazilian market and take it into the States. So it, it's really about um, using the best around the world, but trying to deploy it in a consistent way so the brand is protected. It's also thinking about your uh, brand communications or, or advertising, as it used to be called, as an asset, isn't it? Because the traditional mindset, especially from an agency point of view, is you produced the campaign, you, you ran the campaign, and then everyone largely forgot about it. Whereas now, you know, in a digital world and a digitally enabled world, there's actually an opportunity to produce the assets of the campaign, the images, the video, mm -hmm. the text, mm -hmm. you know, all of those elements. Mm -hmm. And then not just use it for the campaign, but redeploy it into social media or, you know, take bits from... Yeah, that must very be much part so. of it. Yeah, very much so. I mean, people... The, the, one of the big challenges for marketers today is the need to create lots and lots of content for lots and lots of channels. And it's, you know, omni-channel omni marketing, which is basically consistent... Mm consistent communication across lots of channels all the time that's really tough because budgets have not gone up 10 times but the channels mm. and the need for content has yeah um, no, no, um, so you need to repurpose in lots of different ways 
great content. I mean, a lot of our clients are trying to do less better, fewer campaigns, better deployed, used in more ways across more channels and more media. Don't create more and more new stuff. Create great stuff mm. and use it really well and deploy it very well. Um, and th that seems to be a trend that we're, that we're seeing. Because okay. that's interesting. Um, my business partner in the US, Michael Farmer, who wrote Madison Avenue Manslaughter, yep, he often quotes, you know, he started looking at agency scope of works last century, 1995. Last century, my God. Yeah, well, 1995's <laughs> last century. But, and, and I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but it was around two or 300 pieces deliverables for an average brand in a year. Yep. So they would require their agency to produce two or 300. He now says, I think it's around three or 4,000, or it could be even more. higher. Right, you know, more. yeah, more yeah, than that. More but, than that. But, and, and yet he also tracks over the same time that agency fees have dropped by 60-something percent in yep. real terms. Yep. So it's interesting that it's like more with less, which actually doesn't work. Well, it, it, it does work. It can be made to work. Yeah, it okay. can be made to work. So, Tell you us. know, we have um, a number of our clients we've got in the entertainment sphere, video game, uh, publishers, you know, when they're promoting their new games or game content, I mean, they're creating video footage and social media content, and they're producing thousands and thousands of different assets for different markets, different edits. Well, the product is the content in a way. The product is the content, but it still needs to be adapted and, and edited um, and made right for different channels and markets. So in the space of one to two weeks, we're going to create for clients five to 6,000 different assets for deployment into their, into their media plans. Mm. So, you know, in three or four days, you're going to take one, a series of videos from one kit and turn it into a thousand videos. And you can do that through very good automation systems now. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. You, you can do it, um, but you've got to know what you're doing to do it well. Yeah, because um, you know you were saying about delivering materials into individual markets uh, in the right format to work in that market. It's interesting with the rise of the sort of global media, you know, the Facebooks, the YouTubes, mm. the like, you know, the Instagrams, um, that there is a consistent global platform for materials, and yet the media that's still on a market by market basis, and we have to remember that a lot of media is still market by market. There is no global standard. It is a market by market standard. So things like outdoor posters, you know, that can vary from site to site. Exactly right. Uh, transport <laughs> advertising, you know, exactly from right. bus, taxi, yeah. whatever, yeah. train, it's yeah. all different. Yeah. It must be incredible to, you know, build that, uh, that knowledge of every single market. I'm just thinking, you know, the travel I do around APAC, you know, from Hong Kong to Beijing to, you know, uh, Vietnam or, or Singapore, there must be so much variation. So much variation. Um, I mean, I think there's some very interesting brands now which are focusing on city-based strategies. Mm. You know, we see them with, say, scooter brands. Oh, yes, yeah. You know, or Adidas has got its global city strategy, you know, where they're basically picking... 50 cities around the world. Those are the cities, that's where the population is, and, the, and they're actually 
building marketing plans city by city now. So it's not you're not marketing to France, you're marketing to four cities in France. Mm. Um, and yes, of course, the media placement can be quite different. You know, and you go into India, you might be doing huge train wraps mm. because that's that's a big media to get a lot of exposure. And almost unique to that country, to that Unique market. to that country. You know, you go into the UK, it might be digital screens in, in, uh, in mm. train stations. Um, TV is still big, you know, it's yeah, not going away. Uh, but the digital channels are different. You know, whilst Facebook and Instagram are quite big in the Western markets, that's not the same in the Asian markets. It's not the same in the Latin markets. It's not the same in the African markets. So, yeah, no, it's fascinating. And, and yeah, I think a lot of uh, marketers, when confronted with that complexity, are inclined to freak sort of, out. Yeah, want to run away, you know, stick their, head, stick, stick their head in the sand. Yeah. And yet, in many ways, by embracing it, you start to see the opportunities inside that complexity. You know, that by understanding it and starting to categorise it, you can see ways of working with it to deliver efficiency and oh, better so, effectiveness. Yeah. Yeah. But you be, because it is so complex, you the, the knowledge and the insight doesn't sit in one team, in one place. No. You need to use the network, whether it's in your business because you're global and you've got teams on the ground, whether you're working with uh, specialists like a Freeman who've got teams on the ground, but you need to you need to integrate local insight and global strategy. Mm. That's the only way. And then you've got to be super agile. Agile is about being fast and responsive mm. because you know the needs of the markets um, are changing so quickly today. Um, you know, I don't know if this, you've done research on cycle times, campaign cycle oh. times. They've shrunk by a tenth. And some of the best, you know, real pure internet companies, um, you know, the, the Uber Eat type companies, their, their time to go from campaign conception to campaign in market are measured in weeks or sometimes days. Um, they've got to be that responsive. So your whole creative process has to, has to change. No, we've, um, I know Michael uh, Farmer has seen that in resource utilisation. You know, uh, creative teams would do two or three campaigns in a year. Now they're doing, you know... Two or three a quarter, two or three a yeah, month. A lot more. Whatever, a lot more. So the whole, the whole creative process the needs cycle, to... Yeah. yeah, it really does need to... Um, Move up a few gears, mm. um, you know, to, now, to be um, effective. I want to go back, Kevin, to your three uh, sort of versions or three iterations of there are still marketers out there at version one, you know, the global campaign. Not many these days, but there are still marketers there. And they have a long way to go to version three. I mean, they've got to change the way they think, but also often the way they're structured. There's still quite a few at version two yep. who have an opportunity to move to version three, which is being more collaborative. But I think, from my perspective, I think the thing that stops them is almost like a belief that if, it, if it's not broken, don't fix it, keeps them stuck in that version two model. And yet... Often, from our perspective, when we look at version two, it's often broken. And it's broken because uh, there's a global or master agency coming up with ideas 
and then they're sending it out to each market. And whether the each market's managed by the agency in the network or a separate agency, um, there's almost invariably this not invented here, so we'll totally reinvent it, which yep. is a huge amount of waste, isn't huge it? Huge amount of waste. I mean, it's probably due to, I guess, lack of courage or fear. Um, yeah, I mean, the reason people don't change or don't seek to look into the dark corners is because they're afraid of what they're going to find. Mm. So if I'm a global team comfortably creating these toolkits, I don't really want to look at whether they're used by the markets or affected by the markets, because if they're not, then what does that say about me and what my team does? Mm. So I think a lot of it is a lack of courage um, by marketers to to really think about what is going to work for our business in the next five to 10 years. Most of these global toolkit models do not work. It's a complete waste of time and a complete waste of money. Um, and you probably have the research on that, I don't. But getting the business to move is a challenge and it needs the C-suite, it needs the CEO at the top level to say, guys, we need to do something different now. Yeah, I think it's easy to fall into the trap of it seems to be working and everyone's happy. But in actual fact, you know, it's interesting from our perspective, my perspective, because, you know, having started the business in Australia and worked in Asia, there's very few head offices here. There's regional offices. Yes. Most of the head offices for these global brands are Europe and the US. Now working at that end as well you see the t completely different perspective. Global goes, well, we've done this great job. Here it is. Why aren't you so happy with it? It's interesting in the, re I'll call them regional markets that are getting this material sent to them in the kit, that even the marketer and the agency often work together to undermine the whole strategy because the marketer wants to make something new and unique that they can call their own and the agency wants to make something new and unique. They don't want to run the global campaign. They want something new because that will look better on them and the market. they engage the marketer to help undermine the whole process. 100%, 100%. Um, I think one of the interesting, interesting trends I'm watching, obviously we, you talked about Western brands going into Asia, but well, the new trend is obviously Asian brands growing Absolutely. up and going global and going into the West. And I'm interested to see whether these brands take a more nuanced approach and a smarter approach to how they globalize their marketing. So do they try and repeat what the Americans did, which is basically, we know and you shall follow what we say, <laughs> or are they gonna go straight to V3 and say, okay, we know what we do in China, but we know just because it works in China, it won't work in Europe or the States. We are going to listen much more carefully to the local markets. And Are they going to leapfrog, which they have done yeah. in other areas? And what's, your, what's your feeling? From what you've observed so far, what's your feeling? Um, my feeling is they are much more open. They're less arrogant than the Western marketers. There's um, less imperialism. You that's know, it's, right. It's interesting. In the West, we have an imperialistic... Yeah view of, you know, we know what's best for you. Yeah. Um, I think also because they've grown up in the Asian region where those countries are so different, they've already started to think about how do we build a brand in markets that are really very different anyway. Mm. 
So I think they could be in a good position to maybe create globalization V4. Mm. Well, and I can speak specifically from a Chinese perspective, that what I've seen is almost like in, in discovering the concept of brand because, you know, in China, brand wasn't an issue, you know, wasn't a consideration. Brand is very much a creation of the West. China for 5,000 years has been a, a country that transacts with the world, right? But they've discovered brand and they understand the value of brand. But they've also seen all the mistakes. Yes. And this is one of the things that you have to admire about the Chinese culture is innovation comes from observing everyone else's mistakes. Because, right. yeah, one of the things that blows me away, WeChat, like... Why didn't anyone in Silicon Valley come up with the idea of putting a payment gateway into a social media platform? And yet we've got Alipay and WeChat Pay and the like still waiting for Facebook Pay. It's coming, oh, they're though, doing isn't it? now. Libra. Yes, it's coming. they've introduced it's catch- now, it's catching up. But no, yeah, you're right. They're actually Completely different. You could argue that they're yeah. copying the Chinese. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the Chinese brands move you know, out of China. I was at the Shanghai International Advertising Festival this year. It was in, in March, I think. Um, and, yeah, the Chinese don't understand a lot about brand building. Most of their marketing is very sales activation driven. Mm-hmm. But the Chinese market slowed down a lot. Yes. It's become super competitive. 6% this year? Well, 6% officially. It's the target. 6% officially. Yeah. Um so the Chinese brands are going to have to work or Chinese businesses are going to have to start building brands mm. because if you've got a strong brand, you're going to get, you know, preference and higher margin. Yeah. And that's the growth previously has been driven by domestic demand. Now they've got to look for that demand outside of China, yes. which is what's driving the whole idea of marketing to other countries. Exactly right. And also the, the new policy, which is, you know, China made in 2025. Mm. That is the new government policy. They're going to build their brand champions, um, you know, and, and go out to the world. Yeah. I'm sure they'll be successful. It also explains the uh, move, you know, the growth of your business from, you know, you started in London. Yep. What's that, 20... Oh, don't go on about that, Darren, 29 years ago. Fantastic. So 30 years next year. Yeah. We're, twi- we're 20 years now. Oh, yeah. so you're we're, a youngster. We're just babies. You're babes. But then you, you know. So you we had expand. a couple of years where we worked on UK based marketing. Um, Almost to prove the concept, wasn't it, in the early days? It probably was. But then in but year three, four, five, it was European. We started to, to uh, work with European marketers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the relatively early days of the European single market. So how can you. M- you know, build uh, marketing campaigns and make them work across 9, 10, 15 markets in EU. Um, And by the end of the 90s, globalization was starting to become more relevant, more possible because, again, internet, digital, Mm -hmm. that those platforms were starting to be built out. And we found that by the mid-2005, so 2005, um, the clients we work with, didn't just want to work at a European level. They wanted to work at a global level. Mm. And that was when, you know, I had to start thinking about how do we get into the US? How do we get into Asia and have a a global offering? Interesting. Um, 
a very similar uh, journey for myself. So it, it's uh, it's thank you for sharing it. Look, um, we've run out of time. This has been a fascinating uh, conversation. Thanks for making time uh, to pop in and have a chat, Kevin. It's been my pleasure, Darren, and uh, congratulations for the success you've got with your podcast and everything else. <laughs> and likewise to you for building such an amazing uh, business and platform. But on that basis. So uh, where's the next office going to be open for uh, Friedman International? Mm-hmm.